welcome back to CUS Sustainability's podcast, Chasing Sustainable Business. In today's episode, we met with Bruno Lam, a Sauter graduate passionate about social impact and finance. His work with the HSBC Social Innovation Academy encourages students to learn skills in order to get involved to make a real difference in the world, and he shared some of his insights with us today. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode with Bruno and get inspired by his story. Okay, hello Bruno, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem, glad to be on. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to jump right into the questions here. Um, so my first question is, what drew you to concentrate in sustainability? And was finance and sustainability kind of always what you were drawn to? Or did your plan change along the way? Yeah, um, so probably agent, putting an age to uh, myself right now, but I joined, uh, went into Solder 20, in 2012. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I was an outlier at all, but I feel like maybe not as much if I were to go to university nowadays, but I joined, went into university knowing that I wanted to do something about some sort of social or environmental issue. Um, and, and that was really the, the whole reason I was going to university. It was to figure out, you know, what um, problems are out there. Um, what about those problems and how can I become a useful person and, and try to create some solutions for those. It's quite simple. So I would say that it was always part of the plan to specialize in sustainability. And I think it's called sustainability and social impact nowadays at, at Sauter. Um, and, uh, and, when I did specialize, I think I met a really great group of, um, uh, although small group of, of students, but I think grow, a large, large and growing community nowadays at Sauter. Um, and, and yeah, a couple factors like really drew me in. One was firstly, like I was uh, inherently interested. Secondly, some really great professors who clearly had, you know, um, were values aligned, um, were passionate about the the sector uh, or about the about sus- environmental and social sustainability, but also just in general, they were also like dedicated to their craft, whether it's in marketing or finance. Um, it was just really inspirational. And then, obviously, lastly, just the the topic itself. Um, for myself, I specialize in finance and sustainability, so um, the the topic of uh, green finance, impact investing, social finance was. Although I think back in the day, still kind of emerging, um, there was a lot to read about. And uh, when I got introduced to the concept of impact investing, uh, I was just hooked, um, couldn't stop reading about it on my own, uh, in my own time and realized that, you know, this was something that I wanted to dedicate myself towards. So it was kind of an easy choice to get into finance and sustainability. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great that you kind of found a passion and you stuck with it and clearly since you've graduated from Sauter, I've seen you've been involved in a number of different organizations and businesses. Um, do you mind telling me about your current position at Canva and sort of what maybe you enjoy most about that position? Yeah, no problem. Um, so just quick correction, Canvas Impact Advisors. Oh, Canvas. Is, yeah, no worries. I, it gets confused because I think Canvas is also in, uh, is one of the platforms you guys use for uh, learning and then all <laughs> yeah, the Canva is. That, the editor, so no worries at all. Um, Let's just get mixed up in there. <laughs> it's all good. Um, and so, yeah, it's it is a bit of a, a newer organization, although it kind of piggybacks piggies back off of uh, all the work we've done at the UBC Sauter Center for Social Innovation and Impact Investing. So, um, myself um, and uh, and um, our director James Pansy 
uh, we've been trying to help grow the Canadian impact investing market as much as we can. And so when I joined in 20, uh, S3I, the center uh, back in 2016, it was still a um, small but growing uh, community um, of impact investors. And for those that don't know what impact investing is, maybe just quickly define that. Essentially, it is the, the act of investing into, well, anything primarily for us into social enterprises with the objective of making a financial return, but also making a social, environmental, cultural, economic impact. And so um, our, our whole goal really is to help connect, it's really simple, connect the organizations that are trying to raise capital, raise money with organizations that are oh, individuals or organizations that are trying to invest that capital into, into the social enterprises or the funds or whatever else it is. Um, and so currently what we do is, as I mentioned, uh, connecting the, the two um, players with each other. Um, and while we do that, so a lot of my day-to-day -day looks like working with these uh, organizations, whether they're uh, credit unions or um, foundations or uh, got working with the corporate uh, venture capital fund right now uh, to help them find cool organizations um, uh, to to consider investing into. Um, and that goes from everywhere from helping them develop partnerships with uh, incubators, accelerators, um, different organizations to get the deal flow, uh, help them screen kind of the companies that are coming in and, you know, that can come up into like the hundreds per month even uh, and uh, identify the ones that are most aligned. Uh, each investor has their own uh, interests, whether it's in terms of their the financial requirements that they have or the sectors that they want to get uh, exposed to, or ge geographically, some want to focus in on Canada, others want to focus in on North America or international markets, or some even just want to focus in specifically on the Sunshine Coast of BC, for example. So um, helping kind of triage those um, ventures that uh, are asking for capital um, into what, what works with the investor. And then, um, the best part of my job, I think, is when I get to dive into the ventures and the funds um, and really get a look at, you know, what is their theory of change around creating an impact in climate change or education or food insecurity or health, um, taking a look at the product, their service, what kind of traction they have, you know, who are their customers, who are their stakeholders, um, and then uh, everything from the kind of the marrying the impact side of things, as well as the business model and the financial metrics. And so uh, looking at, you know, as, as well as doing like the due diligence of financial modeling, looking at their legal structure, governance and everything. So um, for maybe a geek like me, that's really fun. And, uh, and then eventually just packaging all of that into uh, a recommendation and doing all the analysis is, is really fun. I'll just end with um, the other types of project that I think projects that I think are emerging for us um, and potentially worth really looking at uh, in terms of developing a skill set is impact measurements and it in itself is is a very complicated um, uh, uh, and for good reason complicated practice in terms of how do we measure uh, success in, in different sectors and different issues from climate change to health to education so um, yeah I'll end there. Okay, yeah. And so you're obviously very heavily involved with impact investing, whether that be with ventures or with students. Um, so could you tell me a bit about um, your involvement with HSBC Social Innovation Academy and kind of what you think students would get out of that program? Like, in other words, why you personally would recommend students to join the program? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Something we always want to uh, get the word out is the uh, HSBC Social Innovation Academy. It's a mouthful, so we call it SIA. 
Um, so for context, uh, this is kind of like, you know, um, the, another part of my day to day is to help grow this program. Um, so we founded it in 2018, but re really it kind of uh, came from 10 years of running an internship program at our, our, the UBC Center for Social Innovation and Impact Investing. Um, for myself and also the other um, uh, individuals, Sherilyn, Steve, and, and my boss, our boss, James, um, we did see a gap in, especially when we were students, um, the, the pathway towards creating a career uh, or even understanding how to even get started uh, with a job in sustainability is really daunting. Um, there are and, and there are different pathways, as, as I'm sure both of you are aware, you know, the um, accounting or marketing or, or finance and it's clear kind of clearly drawn out and look those are i always like to use the metaphor of like there's these you know clear um uh you know polished steps towards uh these other established fields um and then there's this like dark mysterious scary um black hole that you're not sure what's actually going to go down what what's in that path for sustainability and social impact so really with that in mind we wanted to figure out okay well um, how can we help students um, gain the skills, gain the confidence to uh, understand what social innovation and social impact is? Um, and at the same time, like get them real paying jobs um, and, and not necessarily volunteer jobs, which I think is a huge myth in that in that sector that you, you can only create social impact when you volunteer on the weekends or ask your nine to five job. Like I, um, you know, these are real, uh, uh, there's real demand for talent out there for the very skills that we're all, you're all learning. Um, in, in finance or marketing or beyond solder in computer science and design and in, in, um, land and food systems, for example. Um, so this is kind of a long-winded sales pitch, but essentially um, what the program is, is that we have uh, two, two programs, one that runs from September to April, it's called the fellowship program. And what that is, is a five to 10 hour commitment per week. Um, all the fellows will be working on uh, uh, Real, sorry, firstly, they're going to be trained to have uh, to get the, the, the skills that are needed in, to, in this space. And so working with industry partners to understand, like, what are they hiring for? So that's everything from impact measurements to market research to financial modeling to design. Um, and then uh, as well, the other half of the fellowship is on working with real life so social um, enterprises, uh, some impact investing funds. Um, and getting the the fellows real life experience working with those organizations. So we're really proud of the work we've done working with a lot of um, uh, social enterprises over 103 as of uh, like today. Um, and then uh, once we finish up the fellow, once the fellows finish up the fellowship program, um, we have the analyst program. So that's uh, a full time internship program um, from May to August, as with any other internship program. And you'll be host hosted by a host organization. So that's an anywhere from impact investing funds to uh, social enterprise incubators and accelerators to um, advisory uh, firms. Um, and the whole point is to get you real life experience working at a uh, organization in the social innovation or social finance sector. Um, and we think that it's also really special and because we ask that the analysts um, also contribute some of their time to working with um, a startup or a nonprofit, um, uh, what we call social purpose organizations throughout the summer. So you get that breadth of experience working in a professional, like in a investment or an advisory or an incubator, um, as well as working with a startup. Um, so I'll end there. I think just a great opportunity to uh, get your first step into the, the door, so to speak, of social innovation. Right. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why we're so excited to have 
you here what's up with us today because part of our club's major goals is definitely just getting people and bringing them more awareness about what kind of roles and jobs there are in sustainability and kind of bringing awareness to all the options that are out there for them so that's really okay. great mm -hmm. and um just you touched on this during the last question but how did you become involved with the center of social innovation and impact investing and can you give the listeners an overview of what Solder S3i is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll start with the first part, uh, personally, how I got involved. Um, so as I mentioned, I was, you know, from day one, I wanted going into Solder. I knew I wanted to, you know, understand a problem, understand uh, how business can play a role in this and how I can personally uh, contribute to the, to the solutions if possible. Um, and I came, I read this one book and I would, um, to this day, still kind of my Bible for social innovation. It's called uh, The Blue Sweater by Jacqueline Novogratz. And Jacqueline Novogratz is the founder of a, a really cool organization called the Acumen Fund. And they're based in New York and they work with, they coined the phrase patient capital. Um, and, and what that is, is well, what Acumen does is they, ish, they deploy capital money um, to uh, social enterprises across, uh, well, they have an international development bend to it. So towards um, some really cool companies in, in various emerging markets uh, to uh, help them, you know, develop an impact. And so, and the reason they call it patient capital is that when you look at um, the traditional, I suppose, uh, financing models, um, you have loans or debt and, or sometimes equity. And usually they're looking for some high repayment rates um, or really short timelines that are just not really conducive to success for the social enterprises. So, um, uh, sorry, I'm geeking out on patient capital right now. But anyways, I read this book. I was really interested in, in what's um, what they were doing, uh, learned the broader phrase impact investing, Googled impact investing in Vancouver. And uh, first thing that came up was the Center for Social Innovation and Impact Investing or S3I, which is still um, around. Uh, and uh, what Solder S3I does is founded by Dr. James Tanzi, who is an associate professor at UBC Solder. He teaches the impact investing class amongst other classes. Um, and uh, it started off I want to say in 2007, I might get that one wrong, um, and uh, was focused on research around sustainability and business. It evolved into focusing on around the early, uh, 2012 or so, focusing on uh, uh, incubating and accelerating social enterprises. Uh, so there was the Coast Capital Savings Innovation Hub, which ran for five years. Um, and some organizations you might know um, from there include um, uh, uh, Wise Coffee and Tea, uh, Arbutus Medical, um, Brighter Investments, uh, and there's a few other organizations that came out of that accelerator. And then when I started joining uh, S3I, I started turning its attention towards investing because a big barrier, if not one of the, what if not the biggest barrier for growth and success in social enterprises is access to financial capital. And so um, uh, we helped develop the UBC Impact Fund, which was a half a million dollar uh, impact fund, which invested into these social enterprises. Learned a lot about, you know, running that uh, a fund, uh, early stage impact investing fund. And then, uh, as, as you know, now we are focusing on helping in other investors deploy capital towards these organizations. So, um, yeah, SRI has kind of had a few different uh, identity um, uh, or has had a, diff a couple different focuses over the past couple of years. Um, but overall, at, at the heart of it is about merging social impact with business and uh, hoping to grow the Canadian ecosystem as much as we can. 
Right. Yeah. So you definitely had a, a huge, invo- huge involvement with that. And would you, I don't know if this is a stretch to say, but did that maybe kind of stem your interest or help push it because it was a part of your experience at Solder? Yeah, I guess I never described how I did get involved. I am beyond uh, <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah, like um, it definitely was uh, was a huge catalyst for, if not catalyst and really an affirmation that there is a really interesting career to be had in this sector. Um, I became an intern with S3I in 2015 and then um, uh, stayed on afterwards after graduation. And so, yeah, it was really helpful to what I was learning in social enterprise class with with Tamar um, with which I know you had a podcast with recently <laughs> yes um, we did yeah uh, would encourage everyone on this listening to this podcast to take a class with Tamar she is absolutely amazing um, but also all, many other professors uh, Dorini I want to say as well and um, I had a mentor in, in uh, Tony Boardman he isn't teaching uh, Sauter anymore but I, I just uh, taking what they were teaching and and then also applying into real life and seeing these, you know, the CEO of these companies sitting across from me at, uh, at, the, at the incubator back then and like get, picking their brain on how to grow a business. And so it was really a nice marriage of what I was being taught and, you know, what's, what's happening in the real world and seeing how it can be applied. All right. Yeah. Well, funny you mentioned Dorini because she is actually going to be our next episode on the podcast. So to anyone listening, feel free to... Um, keep updated on our social medias and check that out. She's great. Yeah, I recommend everyone listening to that one. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you recently contributed to a paper that was published in February of 2020 called The uh, Social Cost of Informal Electronic Waste Processing in Southern China. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the paper and kind of what actions need to be taken to bring more awareness to this crisis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this was actually maybe another plug for another program at Solder, but this came out of a, a, a program called the Commerce Scholars Program, which I think they're recruiting for um, soon. Uh, and that program um, was really formative for myself in, in understanding the rigor of academic research. Um, and for my, like looking back now at, at that program and also the process of actually getting this paper published, it really helped under, for myself, like get a sense of impact measurements and how complex it can be. And in, in, in this particular case, we did a cost benefit analysis of um, electronic waste. So um, what electronic waste is, is well, when we, it's pretty intuitive when we throw away, when you um, finish, not finish, but you, when you buy a new iPhone or a new computer or a new um, laptop, um, what happens to the one that you, uh, if you're not using it again, throw away. And so the uh, e-waste comprises of, of all those kind of things, phones, laptops, computers. Um, in 2016, globally, uh, there was uh, 40 million tons were discarded. That equates around six kilograms per person in the world. And it's estimated we'll get to 52 million tons this year. So it's only going up as more and more parts of our economy, of our, of our um, society um, becomes uh, more, uh, you know, technology permeates into those sectors. So everything from your latest iPhone to electric vehicle batteries, these are all can, can be considered as uh, e-waste when it gets, gets discarded. So when it gets discarded, there is there are informal ways of uh, processing and recycling it, and there are informal ways of processing it and recycling it. Uh, in Canada in 2014, which is the latest data we could get, 20% was estimated to go through a formal processing uh, recycling program and 80% was informal. So 
80% goes into landfills and just like stays there, or it can be processed overseas, imported into different, um, different countries um, and just taken care of there. And so what we wanted to do was place a shadow price. Uh, and what a shadow price is, is, is just a fancy way of saying a monetary value that uh, is assigned to things that don't immediately have a market value. So right. um, a good example of one that, be, that eventually had a shadow price is the carbon, carbon price. Um, which the federal government um, is is uh, introducing or has introduced, I mean. Um, and so what we want to do is like, okay, well, can we take the uh, costs of informal electronic waste processing and place, place a car- shadow price to it or a equivalent of a carbon price to it? So what we did was we focused specifically on a town in southern China called Guiyu, and it's... Um, if you just kind of Google Guiyu e-waste, you'll see a bunch of um, uh, videos and, and pictures around what's the, uh, what it looks like. Um, it's become a lot better. I'll talk a bit more about that later, but um, back uh, you know, for the past couple decades, they've had a lot of informal processing. So what that looks like is basically you know, smashing the glass of, um, of TVs or taking copper wires and, and cables and putting in a pan and burning it so that you can uh, yeah, smelt it instead of a controlled smelting environment. And so right. why, why are they doing that? It's because they want to get the metals that come out of it and sell it back to um, the, uh, and get, get an income essentially from, uh, from the discarded metals. Oh. So that's happening on a large scale then? That's not just like individual consumers? Uh, yeah, it's happening on a large scale. And the people that are doing the informal processing aren't necessarily the consumers, right? They're, right. Um, they're the ones who wear the UA sets. We as consumers discard of um, it goes into those cities and towns in which then they informally process it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, there aren't, as you can probably guess, the toxic fumes that get inhaled by the process of, uh, of like burning and incinerating the, the wires and the copper, whatever, uh, are, are terrible. The toxic mm-hmm. substances then leach into the soil and the environment's also terrible. And so um, we categorize them into three kind of main pollutants. We've got lead, dioxins, and furans, and a particulate matter. All of them can lead to um, increased cancer uh, risk, uh, cardiovascular and respiratory complications. With lead, it can also there's uh, proven studies around adverse effects to children's um, cognitive mm-hmm. development, brain development. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so maybe, yeah, just to, what we did then was to uh, take a look at how much more these pollutants were, were in the, uh, in the environment and in the people of, of, in the, sorry, in the people who lived in Guiyu, and then uh, estimated uh, the, the excess number of deaths that resulted because of the informal electronic waste processing, and then placed the value um, to, to the excess mortality. And we ended up with a price of 423 US dollars per ton. Um, right now, the carbon price, for example, is a fifth, I could get this wrong, but it should be at um, b- below 50 or so Canadian. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so um, anyway, so we, we p- placed the price on it in, in the last part of your question was like, what can we do about it? Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, well, in 2017, actually, the Chinese government banned imports of 24 types of waste, including electronic waste into the country. Um, and it seems like uh, in, in latest reports, it seems like Gui has really introduced a in, new industrial park that has the proper processing equipment. Um, but su- studies also suggest that the EU waste that would have gone to Guiyu hasn't really been diverted from um, from informal processes. It's just been it's just going elsewhere. Another uh, city that is uh, well known for informal e waste processing is Accra in Ghana. Um, 
Yeah, and so I guess the key takeaway is, is that, you know, we suggested the implementation of policies that have the manufacturers, the Apples, the Dells, um, take responsibility of the uh, electronic equipment when we're done with it, and which they have, in, to their credit, has introduced um, some technology and policies and programs that do that. Um, and then also looking at a number of companies that are looking to produce a kind of circular economy um, model for electronics. I haven't seen many success stories there, but nonetheless, I'm sure there will be more popping up over the, over the next couple of years. So kind of a synopsis of the research. Mm -hmm. And what would you say we could do as consumers to kind of make sure we're doing our part just on a smaller scale? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, yeah, kind of two comments there. Firstly, I think it's about taking what uh, the electronics that you use and making sure you reuse it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to put the responsibility on the consumer themselves to right, uh, right to actually um, make sure that the the materials that you're using on the, the phone you're listening on or the laptop you're listening uh, you're using uh, to make sure that they're environmentally friendly. It, it's it's kind of hard to do that, um, and just ensuring that the um, uh, that you know you can use it for as long as possible. Um, additionally, uh, researching uh, what are the uh, which which facilities in in your nearby community or city has proper electronic waste. Um, processing facilities and, and luckily in Vancouver, uh, based on what I've seen last, like we do have some pretty good facilities. Um, yeah, and so I, I would say that. And, and the second thing is also just, I kind of alluded to this before, is just, um, I think with, with the climate change and, and even environmental crises that we face, um, there is a lot that we can do individually, um, but there is even more that I think major corporations, governments, nonprofits should, take responsibility for and, and that's um just because you know in whether it's in um your grocery purchases or your transportation habits obviously do as much as you can and i i am absolutely um myself you know trying to do that as well but also trying to fight that narrative that it is just the, the responsibility of, of individuals to to solve climate change you know it's not and, and you know we definitely require um a lot more systemic change there yeah, like any problem, it does obviously make a larger impact for the businesses. But like you said, I think just smaller steps with consumers and doing more research and making sure if you are getting a new computer that it is going to be used or disposed of properly is super important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And would you say like the impact of these underdeveloped countries is affecting the local people mostly or kind of how was that play out? Uh, sorry, could you just clarify that question? Yeah, like the it's polluting, you were saying, and the lead is seeping into the ground. Mm -hmm. So would you say that it's impacting like the the locals around the facilities from your research or? Oh, absolutely. So that whole research is around kind of the health outcomes of the people who live in Ryu. And so, and they're, they are the very ones who are processing the informal, um, sorry, informally processing electronic waste. And so at least back in the day, Ryu has definitely um, seen some improvements since, uh, since our, the past couple of years. But um, yeah, the whole study is looking at, you know, the, the, when this, once uh, informal e-waste processing is happening, even in, in a remote part of the, the town, um, the fumes, the uh, the soil degradation, it all affects everyone else in, in the city, right? So definitely. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting, the whole topic, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about that more during the event.
But um, just to end off, do you have any advice for um, any solder students or maybe just any other UBC students in general who are interested in sustainability and um, social impact concentration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, firstly, uh, just like kudos to, to you for for being interested in, in this. And like there's, uh, I remember thinking like, you know, I don't see a ton of others interested in this. I'm not, is something wrong with me? No, it's not. Like we need more folks. Um, yeah, uh, like like you, Katie and Ariane, who's also on this call. So I guess that's kind of confusing for listeners. But um, yeah, like to, to be inherently interested like that's, that is, um, that is amazing. Um, and then what I would say is, is to a lot of folks who end up, you know, working with us, uh, whether at S3I or Canvas or as become a fellow is just to get to know the problem really, really well. Um, I, I see a lot of folks coming in and nothing wrong with this, but I just, you know, I'm really passionate about climate change. Like, that's great. Uh, but like, what do you know about it? Like, tell me more about specifically, you know, is it zero waste? Is it clean energy? Per, um, permeation into our electric grid like okay well what about clean energy like which tell me about solar wind geothermal like what what is it about um what are the trends you're tracking it's, it's not enough necessarily to just be passionate about it many many people do have the passion um and also many people don't actually I'll, I'll say that but it's important that even if you have that passion and i try not to even use that word it's like it, you just have an interest in in this sector in this problem uh and let's let's dive into it and so um I would definitely recommend for anyone listening to this or interested in sustainability and social impact that uh, you figure out which are the couple sectors um, and and issues and just learn the heck out of it. Um, and and it can be pretty overwhelming. I know I went through this when I'm like, well, but I'm interested in everything. There's there's 17 sustainable development goals. How can I learn about all 17? Um, you know, and there's that there's that. Um, famous line, like, how do you eat an elephant, like, one bite at a time. So I would definitely suggest what I did was break it down, you know, here are kind of two or three that I'm really interested in, read as much as you can. And one uh, framework that I like to have is it's not even just enough to read as much as you can, actually, it is important to list out all the questions you personally have, so that when you are reading an article or listening to a TED talk, or, you know, deep in some YouTube poll about certain thing, like, you're able to see what's, um, they're talking about and map it back to the question that you have rather than just going in circles all over the place. So that's kind of the first thing I would definitely say. Um, secondly, just kind of building off of what I just said, uh, you need the skills to, to, to contribute to solutions. And every single concentration, every single option at solder has, is needed in, in, in the climate crisis and in, in all the different uh, issues in the world, um, whether it's accounting or marketing or finance or uplog or um, I forget what it's called, but the technology one, um, like they're all very important. Um, and even even if you don't end up working for, you know, a so-called nonprofit or charity or social enterprise, like if you go down a path that is worth a big four accountant or a consulting firm, that's great. Like, let, let's do it. Like you have, you, we need you to, you know, get those skills. I'm not saying that the um, other pathway doesn't gain those skills, but like, no matter where you are, you are gaining skills that can eventually be applied back into sustainability and social impact. So I would um, like, there's nothing wrong with going down this, what I mentioned before, that kind of black hole or really scary pathway. And I think with everything that Sauter's doing with um, hopefully with SIA as well, it's making that 
option a little less scary. Uh, but even if you decide to opt for um, the other pathways that are a bit more um, developed, or maybe that's not the right word, but the other pathways, more traditional ones, like go for it. Um, learn when you can and, and, and um, figure out how you can implement change through your skills and your, the organizations you're involved with. And the last thing I'll just say is as maybe more of a personal opinion here, but yeah, like social impact and sustainability is not restricted to just nonprofit charity and social enterprises. That I think that is the biggest myth. Um, some of the, uh, in my, in my, in my job, <clears throat> working with impact investors, we're working with real life, really exciting tech enabled, scalable companies with really cool products and services that are um, simultaneously making money and also um, uh, creating impact. And all, uh, to be honest, some of them are owned by charities. Some of them are owned by nonprofits. The, the lines are blurred. And if we were to restrict ourselves um, and, and say that sustainability and social impact are only for certain organizational structures like nonprofits and charities, that's doing a disservice to, to the sector, I think. Um, and it, it's, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I'll end there in just saying that, like, it, it's impact is not on its own. It's not its own vertical. It's uh, it's permeates across everything we do. And I would encourage anyone listening who has any sort of remote interest in sustainability to just um, pursue what you're interested in and then learn the heck out of it. Yeah, I think that's really great advice, not only just for sustainability, but for anything in general, just to kind of break things down and really let your like curiosity run wild and ask as many questions as you can to really get deeply involved in any sort of subject, not even just sustainability. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all the questions I have for you today. Um, thank you so much for joining us and sharing lots of wisdom on all your different projects. I'm sure you're very, very busy. Um, is there anything else, any other final comments you want to give? Uh, nothing exactly, but just maybe another plug. If you're interested in uh, the HSBC Social Innovation Academy, uh, we are going to be opening up uh, applications for the fellowship for the following academic year in September. Uh, it's very soon. So keep an eye out. Um, by very soon, I mean like by the end of February, if not sooner. So uh, socialinnovationacademy.ca and um, but yeah, just check it out there. Right, great. And we'll definitely um, provide you with lots more information about that event at our speaker series event. So if you're listening, stay tuned for that as well. We are so thankful to Bruno for taking the time to share his experiences with us. I found his research on the Liu e-waste especially interesting and will definitely be looking more into the topic myself. If Bruno's story resonated with you in any way, be sure to check out the HSBC Social Innovation Academy site and keep an eye out on our social media platforms for updates on our upcoming Sustainable Speaker Series 2 event, where he will be speaking on both topics discussed today and more. If you have any feedback, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to our Instagram, sustainability, or email sustainability at cus.ca. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.